This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I'm showing my age. Dinosaur that I am. There's, there's only one trade deadline, and that trade deadline is July 30th. That's it. After that, trade's not allowed. You can still do the DFAing and the swapping. But, yeah, I was, I was operating off of old information. The waiver trade deadline was always so bizarre, and it was very fortuitous for Houston a couple of years ago when they got Justin Verlander. But it's a strange, strange idea and concept. I've never quite understood how it works, so I'm glad they got rid of it. <laughs> So it is gone. So the only deadline you need to be worried about is this Friday, July 30th. Mm-hmm. With that, we turn our attention to football with training camp opening here in Seattle on Wednesday. It's time for Blue 42 with Brock Heward. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42. Blue 42. <laughs> Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Good morning, Polly. My senses are heightened. I'm even more angry at that play call on the precipice of training camp beginning because you know what else I would never do on that play? What's that? Not only did I forget the motion in that call or it was edited out, you know, the C left, you never go on two with motion. You never do that. You never put a back in motion and, and make him then remember that you want him reacting. So I would always go on one. That's just, that's bad football right there. <laughs> Still frustrated over your cadence there. Oh no, Brock. Oh no. We got to get you on a, in a better spirit. So let's talk about the progress that seems to be happening when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks and a new Jamal Adams contract. Per Ian Rappaport, the Seahawks are willing to make Adams the league's highest paid safety, but there's a limit as to how far they'll go when they give him his new raise. And it does sound like the Seahawks would like to keep this deal under the massive deal that Bobby Wagner, their best defensive player and one of their team leaders, signed last year. That's $18 million. So figure the Seahawks, this is more math there, the Seahawks have him at the highest paid safety in the NFL, but below Bobby Wagner, you're probably looking at about $17 million per year, which would be a massive deal for one of the more fun players in the entire NFL on defense. Will the Seahawks' reluctance to give Jamal more than Bobby end up being an obstacle? And if you're Seahawks management, what would you tell Jamal as to why you are not going to go that far for him? You would just tell Jamal this is the way we do business with everybody at every position on our team in the last decade that we've won a Super Bowl and multiple championships in the in the division and win 10 games a year. Remember you wanted to play for a winner. Remember how much you love being a Seahawk? And you, and you touted that at every turn. You got out of New York, out of a dysfunctional program. You play with one of the league's best, most talented franchise quarterbacks for a head coach that empowers you to be who you are. And you love everything about this place. Well, if you love everything about this place, this is how they do business with everyone. With everyone. They're everyone that's ever played there under this regime. You're going to get paid the most that any corner is going to get paid, Richard. You're going to get paid the most that any safety has been paid, Earl. You're going to get paid the most that any quarterback has been paid. Russell, you're going to get paid the most that any middle linebacker has been paid. Bobby, Jamal, you're going to get paid the most that any safety has been paid. Let's go. This is the deal. This is the way we do business here. Not singling you out in any way, but you're not going to be treated any differently than any of our future Hall of Famers, Ring of Fame winners, and Pro Bowlers and All Pros that we have on this roster. That's not the way we do business. 
All right, Brock, we did this last week with Michael Bumpus. I'm curious your answer. Was that convincing in any way? Yeah, it was. I yeah. think you're totally right on. To Jamal, maybe not, though. Well, I mean, he's eventually going to take it. Like, his, yeah. What's his option? What's his option other than not taking that? What's his option if he says, no, that's still not good enough for me and I don't... He's going to hold out? You're going to burn two rules? of the 32 bridges in this league? You, yeah. you got to pass with one, forcing your way out of one, one dysfunctional mess. This league looks at the Seahawks and, and holds them as far as a business goes in some of the highest esteem. So you, you want to burn those two bridges? You've also seen with the safety in the same spot that they're not going to budge on that. Like Cam <laughs> Chancellor missed two games and that threw that entire season into disarray. But Seattle wasn't changing that. Nope. And and then if you would say, okay, fine, I won't play again until he... Tra- well, there's also the possibility of a franchise tag in the future. Like this, your 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 option of being the highest paid safety and not getting quite as much as you want is much better than your alternatives and the practical position that you have for bargaining. Agreed. So what did you Brock, ask Bumpus last week? It was on Wednesday. Players are out there. Is Jamal Adams present? He's present, but he's not practicing. I think he's going to be on pub, yeah. which we're going to probably hear tomorrow. His players report. They probably have their physicals beginning tomorrow, Danny, or today? Be tomorrow, most likely. Players start reporting tomorrow, so you'll start you'll start hearing about that. I don't know if they'll announce the pup tomorrow. I would guess that we're probably going to hear about it when guys are running out there on Correct, Wednesday. Correct, on Wednesday morning. I think he'll be out there. I think he'll be in a sweatsuit. Uh, there, there's no way in the world I could imagine him in a helmet and out there full speed and practicing. A, just coming off of the surgeries he is, I think they're going to be very delicate anyway, even if a deal is struck here in the 11th hour. But, no, I would expect him to be on PUP Wednesday morning. Physically unable to perform, by the way. I shouldn't just use those acronyms. Assuming everybody knows that. Physically unable to perform, not passing his physical, thus uh, not able to go out on the practice field. It's a very strange designation. It's a very strange designation that they've chosen to continue. Physically unable to perform. Turf Sounds like something you you might need to go see Dr. Arakaki for. Turf is pissed about that. He's running (laughs) all around that field. He's like, when I was a pup, I was owning this place. It's, It's a bad name. Question two. Is anyone going to trade for Deshaun Watson? No. No. He's going to be put on the exempt list by Wednesday. I don't equally think there's any chance he's going to be on a practice field practicing. He reported to the Houston Texans. Uh, He does not want to take the $50,000 a day fine. Understandable. There are still 21 civil lawsuits pending out there. There is no way in the world somebody is going to trade with that hanging over his head. And I don't think in any way, in any world, Roger Goodell and the people in Park Avenue want him out there in a Texans uniform with that also hanging over his head. So more than likely, he'll go on the commissioner's list, I would think, before Wednesday. Uh, he would still be paid his his salary, which is kind of crazy to me, with 21 civil suits outstanding. But that's the letter of the law and what the players have negotiated with that list. And... We'll see if those get sorted out, if the league's able to make a decision. But I would not imagine him, A, practicing, or B, anybody trading for him with that hanging over his head and no sense of clarity. It's surprising he's not already on the list, though, Brock. I mean, they've already spoken with some of Watson's alleged victims here. The NFL has, and they have not made a decision. I would imagine that's probably good news for Deshaun as far as being able to play this season. I think they wanted to see what he and his camp were going to do, right? Remember, it was him that, that fired the salvos, that I'm done, I'm not playing, I want to be traded, I'm out of here. 
I think they want to see and, and maybe disgrace him a little bit and say, oh, really? You, you, think, you think you call the shots? Oh, look at you. You're coming back, aren't you? Because you don't want to get fined $50,000 a day. So I think they wanted to put that call into into in, in just kind of call, not necessarily his bluff, but wanted to see what actions he would take. He reports so he doesn't get fined. And, and then I think the league is able to say, yeah, you're not you're not playing. We'll put you on this exempt list. That's, a, that's how I would anticipate it. But you're right. They have had plenty of time, the league office has, to, to dig into these matters. And time will tell. But I don't think he's going to be on the practice field. I think he's going to be on the exempt list. And I, I, I just seriously cannot imagine, even for the most – QB-starved program out there that they're going to make a move, give away valuable assets for a total unknown when it comes to suspension and his career moving forward. Brock, what about Machine Gun Kelly, a.k.a. Frank Clark? You think he's on the commissioner's exempt list? We heard anything further from that? (laughs) No, we haven't. It's a nice Uzi Uzi sound effect. Uh. You got a snort there too. <laughs> yeah, question, question I, are they going to allow? Is it just going to be I, like, I, hey, yeah, two weapons violations a I month, think, but no big I deal. Would, you said it. You said the Uzi belonged to your your security guard, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that's going to fly. It's either. not funny. No, it's funny, man. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Ludicrous. Is what it is. Yes. Question number three. Speaking of ludicrous, Sean McVay has hired. An assistant of mm, special projects. Saw this, yeah. A sounding board and a researcher. His name, Andy Benoit. Benoit. He once said this. If you're factoring in price, I am I am without question. I mean, like I, I am doing Jacoby, especially if I can get something for Russell Wilson, which we're going to dive into. But if yeah. it's just even head-to-head, Jacoby Brissett for, what, 10, 12 million a year maybe for the first couple years versus Russell Wilson at 30-plus million a year, I'm taking Jacoby Brissett, and, and I'm going home early because I didn't have to spend much time on that decision. Yikes. <sighs> he also... It was Thanks. about the same time as that. Gosh, said I think straight I up, yelled at thought, that audio a lot. Yeah, I. He said Andy Benoit, same dude. Said Matt Stafford is Matthew Stafford's a better quarterback than Russell. Like he would give him a heads up decision between those two. He's taking Matthew Stafford every time. Mm-hmm. That sure feel. That sure feels like an analyst stuck in in some of the old numbers and some of the old boxes that you got to check of size and arm strength and stature and you got to be six foot four Jacoby Brissett Matthew Stafford right you you've got to you've you've got to move a certain way and throw it a certain way and play within the tackles and the structure of, of a system on time in the pocket all of those things that you know 10 15 20 years ago were were pretty clear boxes that you had to check because that's where the game was played that's not where it's been played over the last decade and Russell has proved that and he's been sustainable and totally available, which I think, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago was a, was a fair crack to say, hey, I've seen this before, but are you going to be able to stay healthy? Are you going to be able to do this for 10, 15 years sustainably? Right? Randall Cunningham wasn't in one place. Michael Vick wasn't in one place as far as guys just, you know, athletic and creating and, and buying time. And, and I'm sorry, Russell's absolutely sabotaged all of those old boxes that you had to check. And he's done it now for a decade in this league. And he's made more than Andy, Andy, Andy Benoit, Benoit, look silly in the process of doing so. But we think of McVeigh as being pretty sharp. 
and he's hiring this dude. Like what? That's what I. That's what I come back to. All those things you just said are right, Brock. And but Andy I guess Benoit, Danny, he's looking at that, and maybe there's 50 other special projects outside a quarterback. Right? Maybe I wouldn't it's the trust way that, that guy to park my car. Maybe it's the way that he, you know, just his algorithms and the way he looks at. No, at he doesn't have algorithms. No, positions. come on, dude. <laughs> like, I think I've been fairly consistent in this perspective that your best journalists, your best football journalists, know a fraction mm-hmm. of what the players and the coaches that they're talking to know. That that I mean, really, really a fraction. And Andy Benoit is very—he's not even among the smarter journalists I know. And he's being hired as a special assistant to a guy that we can. This really impacts how smart I think Sean McVay is. Like that's who it impacts. I think if McVay's hiring this guy to bounce stuff off of, I, I, I've read that guy's work for a long time, and I'm not trying to be catty or personal. Like I, everybody has a right to get a job, and hey, God bless him for being. But. I don't think Sean McVay is one of the smarter coaches in the league if that's the guy he's looking to for his opinion on football. Yeah. I think people would turn then, Danny, that around, and I'm not going to take this out of Andy Benoit's camp, and turn that around and say, well, actually, he's pretty good at hiring a D coordinator. Actually, two of them. That's true. I mean, he hired Wade Phillips. That was, that. from what I've heard, is as far as that interview went, and from people that were there, they said basically before that interview began, he knew in his back pocket he had Wade Phillips. He'd reached out to Wade Phillips. And during that interview said, you know, you know when asked, well, what kind of defense are you going to do? What kind of – said, well, actually, I've already got an agreement by Wade Phillips. You hired me. I'm bringing him in. Well, Wade, you know, he has to make that move and steps down from him. And then who does he hire? A mid-30-something, total unknown on Vic Fangio's staff. That guy leads him to the number one defense. No, oh, by the way, after one year – is hired as the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. And, uh, by the way, his passing game coordinator is in what position now? Seattle's but, offensive coordinator. Yeah, and then I think there was even a like a QB coach that was hired somewhere in the Northeast at Power 5 school to be their coordinator. So at least you know the acumen, Danny, the history would say, man, his staff has been totally poached <laughs> you yes. know, on both sides of the ball. So... Maybe he knows what he's looking for, and it makes no sense to you or me, and certainly that commentary is beyond ludicrous. But his track record's been a pretty good one of the people he surrounded himself with. But in if the people past. say that Pete Carroll lost his fastball, given it, shouldn't it's totally fair to ask as as Sean yes. McVay lost it based on based on this. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's fair. And by the way, I think a lot of people said, Man, Pete's not had many people poached and, and taken That's from true. him over the last few years, though you look at it, the coordinator in Jacksonville, who Urban Meyer wanted handpicked, and his QB coach were, were both coordinators here. So As the, ra- the rate of poaching has certainly slowed down over the last you know ha- half a decade here in Seattle, but the rate of poaching for Mr. McVay, especially in their run last year, was, man, at an all-time high in the league. I don't think that he's losing his fastball McVay I mean still six and three against Pete I would say this is probably looking for a guy who believes in Matt Stafford right could be could be or it could be I want the ultimate go find someone who knows football that believes in Matthew Stafford (laughs) you guys are underestimating how dumb this is Like, seriously, I'm being no, dead serious. I, I think it's pretty clear that I didn't read Andy Benoit's. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a good witness in this uh, in this debate because I didn't even know how to pronounce his last name. But I do remember yelling be at that ludicrous, yeah. that ludicrous oh, piece of sound from a few years it's, ago. 
it's just it's it's too much for me. Like yes. I really I just look at it and it's one of those there are very few times where I'm like I don't know what this guy's thinking at all. Yep. And 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 it comes out catty and there's just no other way to say it, but that like that's that's legitimately how I feel about it. I You know what else it, is it too much, me. man? This Monday. Holy cow, look at you two on this Monday. Mariners have won 3 of 4 game and a half yes. back in the wild card. Seattle mm-hmm. Kraken have made all of their moves. The Seahawks are on the precipice of beginning training camp with all sorts of news from Jamal Adams to Dwayne Brown and and anything and everything in between. So, kudos to you guys. Hope you're enjoying this little Monday. Yeah, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving and uh, also, we just got oh. a tweet from Ian Rappaport. Frank Reich tested positive for COVID-19, even though he's fully vaccinated. Huzzah! Look at this. Lots wow. of news. Crazy times. It is Danny Englund. Brock, we appreciate Thanks, you stopping by. We'll you talk to you tomorrow. Sounds great, boy. See you. So that news, we're going to see more of this. And mm-hmm. I don't know how much people have followed what what is happening with what are called breakthrough infections. On That's someone who is vaccinated for covid and then test positive and even shows symptoms of, uh, of for COVID, and there's there's not a lot. Of, and Frank has zero symptoms, by the way, uh, from from at least this initial report, which is important to know. But it appears, and and this is based on a lot of sort of observing what has happened recently. It appears that the the infection rate on people who are vaccinated has climbed, and a lot of experts think it's due to the Delta variant. And there's there's a complicated sort of explanation for that, but it's basically that the Delta variant produces a higher viral load in in people who, who are infected. And that is making it maybe more likely that someone who has been vaccinated for COVID, if they get infected with the Delta variant, can then pass that along to other people than in the previous the, the previous what was COVID-19 prior to this, that the Delta variant is essentially becomes more infectious if it is if it does infect someone who has been vaccinated. The the positive side that people are pointing to is that even with the Delta variant, you're not seeing hospitaliz- hospitalizations right. in the vaccinated. Part. Right. And, is, and- is that it, it it it's not showing that it's more lethal. Uh, but it does appear that there's a chance that the Delta variant is more in, infectious among vaccinated people because it does produce a higher viral load. But Frank Frank Reich, the head coach for the Indianapolis Colts, has tested positive for, for COVID. The Mariners are 23-8 and eight in one-run games. Each of the three games they beat Oakland in during that four-game series was by one run. They won on two wild pitches and then yesterday held off Oakland to, to win, thanks in part to a really great play by Jake Bowers. That 23-8 and eight record is a testament to this team's toughness. It's also a reason to wonder if they can sustain the levels of success that they've had. They don't have a run differential that would lead you to think that they're a team that's eight games over 500, yet they are. How do you how do you look at the run, the that record in one run games, Paul? And and how does that impact what you think the team should do at the trade deadline? It's it's hard. You have to balance it, but it's hard to definitively make a strong conclusion from it because on one hand flukish 23 and 8 and one run games that is that is something else but on the other hand I, I put it in context with teams that we have seen the Mariners play recently uh, most recently of course Oakland but also taking a look at what the Yankees did on Sunday against the Red Sox and there is a skill to not crapping yourself in the biggest moments possible and to their credit the Mariners because of I would say good defense and plus bullpen relief these guys have been able to sit on some of these one-run leads that they get, and they have shown 
a scrappiness over the last two seasons that even if they are down late in the game, they will make a serious effort to get back into it, even though their offense is not a particularly scary one. They're, they've been really good about having their home runs with guys on base. Like Up until about a week and a half ago, they had the same percentage of 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 home runs with runners on base as the Astros, who had hit significantly more home runs and were a better hitting team. They've been able to do some things that you said flukish. I think the best word is unsustainable. Because you don't want to take away credit and say, hey, you 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 that that's lucky that you were able to do that. It's that teams don't tend to keep winning one run games at this pace. It's unlikely that the Mariners are going to win three out of every four one-run games that they play for the rest of this season. Doesn't mean that they have to give those games back or that they'll only win 25% of them, but it's probably unlikely that they'll be. But I think what you pointed to as the bullpen, that might be the single biggest thing. In an era where teams are increasingly valuing bullpen performance, the Mariners have got this performance out of their bullpen without really valuing it that much. And look what like they did on set. I mean, you you have a game where Logan Gilbert lasts two and a third and you and you still win. I, I mean, who who would have said that? Going into a game like that, like that's the guy. Logan Gilbert's the guy in this rotation with Kikuchi having the rough starts before he did on Friday where he has 12 strikeouts. That's the guy that you're looking to and you're thinking, oh, well, we won't have to think about him with the way that he's been pitching. And yet, on Saturday, they came in and one run over six and a third. It was really impressive that they were able to close that game down considering that Gilbert had to leave so early. Yeah, and the, the the bullpen was unbelievable just over the entire course of this weekend. Like that that bullpen, the bullpen performance that they got, that Seattle's got, and really has gotten all season, even with Rafael Montero, even considering who has finally been clipped and, and designated for assignment, you're not going to see him pitch again. The bullpen has been great, and that's not with the Mariners spending money on it. And that's not because the Mariners don't care about it. It's not because the Mariners don't care about it. It's because that's kind of the last thing you put together on your team, right? Like, you get all the other parts, and then you make sure you get your bullpen lined up. This should be one of the most encouraging things for Mariner fans going forward, is that it looks like this front office, and whether it's the pitching coach, or they're managing a bullpen way above the expectations of what people would have. And you've got that in place, and you can work to keep it in place. You can feel really good about the direction that's going. They have to be smart about it long-term because you obviously are seeing right now in New York, the Yankees' bullpen, which was one of the best in baseball, has probably been the worst in baseball, at least over the last month. They have been an absolute disaster. So you see how quickly it changes. It's such an inexact science in terms of picking bullpen guys. But the Mariners have found their way into having a really good unit with three, four guys that you look at and you have a pretty good amount of trust in when they come up on the hill. Used to be the Seattle Seahawks, or they were like a cable network when it came to the drama. They knew drama. Characters welcome. Now it's other places you have to look for uncertainty. We'll tell you about the suddenly copacetic Seattle Seahawks next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. I want to take you back to a time not all that long ago. February and March, when it seemed like things were very much touch and go between the Seattle Seahawks and their quarterback. And it was the top, it was the most dramatic thing happening in the NFL. It's much better to have that happen then than to have the drama that certain teams are facing now. And in fact, 
it's better because Seattle has faced and been in the boat where, like the Arizona Cardinals, is Chandler Jones going to show up tomorrow when training camp opens? Like the Green Bay Packers, who have their quarterback and their top receiver, maybe the best quarterback-receiver combo in the entire league, or one of them posting simultaneously pictures on Instagram of pictures of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan and referencing the last dance. Or you look around Deshaun Watson, who decided, well, I guess I can't really hold out because I don't want to get fined, and maybe I'll show up and get traded now. There, there's a lot of uncertainty around the rest of the league, and there's not that much uncertainty in Seattle. Really, the only question is Jamal Adams going to be present, and all indications from the NFL insiders point to the fact that they're at a pretty good place when it comes to reaching a long-term deal. Yeah, and with that uncertainty, when you see all of it, do you do you feel that we'll have any resolutions in any of those situations in the coming days, in the coming weeks? I, I, I don't know, but it's it's amazing that we have gotten to this point where we're now putting our feet back up on the table. Oh, yeah, this wasn't a thing at all. Meanwhile, Green Bay's burning. Each of those three teams that I mentioned, Deshaun Watson, who really isn't about the Texans so much as the rest of the league. I, nobody really expects the Texans to be good this year, right? No, they're going to be awful. But that uncertainty about is, is Watson going to get traded? And then Green Bay and Arizona. All of those situations there's the chance that they're going to get increasingly stickier, right? That we've just seen the tip of the iceberg when it comes to how difficult. And the question is, how awful is this going to be for those teams? For Seattle, the question is much different. Yeah, you got some guys that want... Jamal Adams is in line for an extension. Dwayne Brown would like a new contract. But none of those have... I guess there's the possibility that they get worse, but all the signs we have from from NFL insiders are that Seattle's willing to make Jamal Adams the highest paid safety, and that probably means that this is a matter of timing rather than uncertainty about whether the deal gets done. And with Dwayne Brown, I, I would imagine that that's, that's something that will come after Jamal Adams' deal, but that that's also something that the team could fairly easily address. I, there's not the same amount of uncertainty with regard to Seattle, as there is those other teams. I feel like when Adam's deal is done, and it sounds like we're getting closer and closer to it, yeah, it's going to be a series of dominoes. And I would imagine that with Brown and Diggs, you would get some resolutions because I think if you give Adams that extension, you are going to create some salary cap space for you in the short term, right? You're going to be kicking a lot of money down the road. So it should make things a little bit easier on that front. And honestly, we might even see KJ Wright back in the building. I think right now that Adams is a big obstacle as far as anything that the Seahawks might want to do in the coming weeks. And once that contract is done, they will then have a little extra flexibility that they did not have before. Do you extend Quandre Diggs? I think he's he's third on my list, and he's he's at the point where I'm he's the one I'm least certain of. He's the one that I would be most likely to say, we'll see how it goes. He was great at the end of 2019 when he first joined the Seahawks, and he was good last year. You could compare statistics and make an argument that he was just as good last year, but I wouldn't quite go that far. The big issue I have, and I don't like making a move for the sake of being scared of the unknown, but I think that the Seahawks showed that they don't do well when it comes to building and developing safeties at least in a post they used they used Earl a lot of dra- world. they they used a lot of draft picks to try and replace Earl and Cam and ultimately ended up having to trade for the two guys that are doing it yeah and those two guys are doing it pretty well for them assuming that you're going to keep your defense this way for the foreseeable future then it makes sense to have 
Diggs and Adams. The problem is a matter of what Diggs wants. And it sounds like Diggs, at the very least, wants a comparable contract to some of the better safeties in the NFL. And I feel like he has some case to it, but not a very strong one. And since he doesn't have a very strong one, then things could, I guess, get a little contentious between the two parties. But if it were up to me, I I would be leaning towards trying to make something work with Quandre long-term because I I just don't want to go back into putting out Tedrick Thompson or Leno Hill out there. He's 28 years old. He did get traded by Detroit, which had signed him to a no contract, and basically decided to punt that deal. They decided that they had a, a younger, better player that was at that spot that they didn't. And he's, he's come to Seattle, and he's played really well. Jamal Adams, I think the circumstances favor you as the Seahawks. You have a stronger negotiating position than he does, just in all honesty. If you're willing to make him the highest paid safety, I think you can sit there on that offer, and eventually he's going to take it. Dwayne Brown is a little bit different. I think all things being equal, you would prefer to wait to pay Dwayne. He's an older player and someone who has had a knee injury a year at the I'm end of uh, uh, at the end of 2019. I think Dwayne has the advantage when it comes to the negotiation there because oh, yeah. he can always say, "Hey, I then I won't play this year." They have He's, no leverage here, and they don't have an ability to draft their next left tackle either, right? I mean, you don't have a first-round pick next season, so what are you really going to do here? In the short term, you have to keep on going with Dwayne Brown basically as long as you can. But I'm with you. Do you want to give him the deal already before you see him get through this season? He has been a tank over the course of his career. But is he going to be that same guy? With Quandre, I think that's one I might be more inclined. He's definitely third on my list. He's definitely the third guy that I get to. I want the situations resolved with Jamal Adams and with Dwayne Brown before we even get to talking about what we're going to do with Quandre Diggs. Situation in Arizona is different because the situation in Arizona is this is the end result of an of an off season of uncertainty. What we're seeing right now has been brewing for a matter it has uh, uh, more months because Chandler Jones, who's been your best pass rusher, wants a new contract, and they signed. J.J. Watt. So it becomes very hard to tell Chandler Jones, you got to wait for that deal. When he looks across there, he's like, well, you didn't have to wait for him. There's nothing stopping you from giving me a new deal just like you gave and added J.J. Watt. Right. It becomes very hard. And then it becomes a matter of, is is Chandler Jones upset enough about that that he is he is willing to sort of dig his heels in and say, I'm not showing up until I get a new deal. And Generally, when guys make those sort of sounds or ask for trades before the training camp happens, it means that they see the situation as untenable. I get it from the Cardinals' perspective in that he's coming off of the biceps injury, and when he was healthy last year, Chandler Jones was not as awesome as we have been accustomed to seeing him. But if you're Chandler Jones, you're saying, I've had the exact same production as J.J. Watt over the last 10 years, essentially, or nine years, the first nine years of my career. So... Really, I'm not the highest paid guy on this team when I was the established guy here and J.J. Watt looks like he is in a different phase of his career just because of the availability that he has been unable to show. And you're right, Danny, this this is a sign that something has gotten worse, isn't it? Because we had heard hints and rumors that Chandler might be looking for a trade. Now we're officially hearing it. So I'm guessing that that means that things have hit a breaking point. Michael Silver of the NFL Network reporting that as of this weekend, Packers coaches have no idea whether Aaron Rodgers will show up for training camp on Tuesday or beyond. So that remains clouded mystery. The Packers are reporting for work and Green Bay fairly pretty much on fire right now. It is Danny and Gallant. The Mariners won three of four against the Oakland A's. 
They host the division-leading Houston Astros for three games now and have made a very compelling case why they should be buyers and not sellers this time around. What's your level of confidence heading into this series against Houston? We'll talk about that next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. And the pitch on the way to Hanniger. Way outside in the dirt. Gets on by Garcia. Here comes Kelnick on the score. Hands in the air. And the Mariners win it on the wild pitch. Five to four. Isn't it nuts that the Mariners won two games on wild pitches this weekend? It's great. I love it. I have no problems watching somebody else make a mess of things. That's what Oakland has been doing. So the Mariners take three of four from Oakland over the weekend. They get a reprieve from Oakland until the very end of August. And now they take on the American League West leading Houston Astros. So a game and a half back of Oakland in the wild card race, Houston's a totally different animal. I mean, Oakland's a little pop gun operation to me. I look at Houston and that lineup that they have, Danny, and I feel like this is going to be a much tougher test for Seattle these next three games. Man, Oakland was really good. Oakland was had been really good in the month of July, right? They'd been 17-9. and nine. Like, they've been really good. They have. I'll, I'll be perfectly frank here. I, I have never felt that the A's were anywhere close to the Astros level, and I'm talking about over the last three years. And yeah, man, but they won the division last year, right? Yeah, and then see what happened to them in uh, but that's the a different story. the Astros. I that, mean, that's, that's a different story about what happens in the playoffs. Like, the A's have been a consistently good... I, I don't know if they are a totally different team or a different caliber of team. Maybe in the playoffs, but not in the regular season. I, I feel very strongly in the opposition. I, I think Houston, that, that lineup that they have, it's just different. And what they're able to throw at you, one through eight, it's, it's, it's terrifying from a power perspective, especially even with some of the changes. I mean, they lost George Springer this offseason, and they haven't missed a beat. So I, I, I wonder about this series. I got to say, though, I, I am feeling rather confident going into it in that I feel like you're getting a pretty good series of matchups for you pitching-wise. Not as great as you had this past weekend in the four games where you had Kikuchi and you had Gilbert and you had Flexen to open things up and you weren't really 100% sure what Marco Gonzalez was going to give you, but you actually you know, looked, looked all right. Looked all right for Marco Gonzalez over the weekend. This week, this week tonight, you're going to see Luis Garcia for Houston, a young guy, on the mound against Darren McCacken, who we saw pitch pretty well in his first performance coming out in relief of the opener, Keenan Middleton, uh, in that weird spot start because baseball is punishing the Mariners because it's not cool. Then you have on Wednesday, Yusei Kikuchi going up against Jake Odorizzi in an early afternoon game. So I, I look at that, and if you look at it from a starting pitching perspective, they are on pretty good footing in this three-game set. After that, though, it's really going to be up to the offense to produce and produce more than they did this weekend against Oakland. Both Houston and Seattle are 6-3 and three since the All-Star break. Houston, which does have one of the best hitting... I, I think they're the best hitting team in baseball. It's, they're right there. Toronto's hit a ton of home runs, and there's some, some categories. That, I, think, I think Houston's the best offensive team in baseball. But they've done it in the second half. After the All-Star break, it's largely been their pitching. You look six of their nine games, they've held the opponents to three runs or fewer. 
Like if that's when when you have a team that if you allow three runs or fewer, you've pitched well enough to win that game. And that's that's six of the nine games Houston has held its opponents. They've given up a total of five runs. Now it was in Texas, and Texas is a disaster right yeah. now. Which by the way, by the way, the Mariners will start out this next road trip in Texas. They need to make some hay there. Mm-hmm. Like that's you're gonna, you're going to have to beat up the suddenly the team that's the Palooka that's scoring basically 30%, 40% of the runs that they allow. Like, you have to make hay with that. And that's right. where, where Houston is coming from. But it's it's primarily been Houston's Houston's pitching. Man, don't underestimate the, the feeling that the Mariners have of being at home. The crowds, like, they had the largest crowd of the year on Saturday. They had more than 30,000 fans there. You're hearing, you, you, you even when you're not in the building, you're hearing... The impact and how tuned in and plugged into this team the fans are, I think some of it is that people are happy to just be out of the house and be returning to to the regular world. I think it's also this excitement of, hey, this team and the way they're competing and identifying, chanting J.P. Crawford's name, those sort of things, the excitement that Mitch Hanniger's, they won three of four against the A's, and I feel like this crowd's going to be primed this week for the Astros coming to town beginning tonight. It's a couple of weekday games, but keep in mind, this is the first full chance that you are going to have to be mean to the Astros. <laughs> this is the first chance. I mean, the first series of the season took place in mid-April. You now will have the opportunity to finally give Houston the just booing that they deserve. It's a year and a half late, but still, you're finally going to get to do it, and I hope that that will add a little bit of extra energy to the Mariners over the next three games. They're healthier than they've been, too. Last time that they came, wasn't Correa gone? I, I, I believe yeah. that Correa, Correa was injured. I mean, you have, it's Altuve, it's Brantley, it's Alvarez, it's Correa as their first four in the, in the lineup. I mean, they, they are a much healthier team than they were the last time you saw them. And again, they, they have been one of the better hitting teams. Darren McCacken's going to have his hands full tonight. I, I th- th- we expect that he's going to get the start as opposed to having an opener like they did when Keenan Middleton opened for him. He looks pretty good in his big league debut. They tried to soften it for him, and it ended up costing him the Mariners that game that game in Colorado. But look, I'm excited. I think that the way the Mariners are winning and the the success that they've they've demonstrated in one run wins and. The fact that this bullpen has been so very good is a great sign for how things are going. This Bring him on. Let's get greedy. When you got these this this run of seven games, which I say happy with happy with four and three. If you win one of those two series, you're going to feel really good about it. They've won the first of those series, winning three or four against Oakland. Let's go with this three games against Houston. Yeah, you just you just took three or four from Oakland. You should be feeling really confident here. And and this is an important series. You mentioned Danny that they play Texas for three afterwards, where you can fatten up a little bit. But after that. A pretty t- difficult road stretch against two teams that you're competing with in the wild card race. Tampa Bay a little bit less so because Tampa Bay and Boston are neck and neck in the AL East at the top. And then New York. And then after that, things things open up a little bit for you uh, schedule-wise. But if you can get to that stretch, hey, let's let's see where the Mariners stand after it. It's Danny and Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. I saw a really interesting piece, Danny, on the SB Nation website for Washington State. Cougs Center, right? Cougscenter.com, yes. And they raised, I think, an interesting question. The title of the piece, what needs to happen next with Nick Rolovich? He had a chance to lead, and now it's time to go. And this article points out the hypocrisy of Nick Rolovich last year, having told Cassidy Woods that he needs to be on the same page with the team 
or else with the program when right now Nick Rolovich is literally unable to be all in on the team this season and going forward because he's not available for Pac-12 media day since he has not gotten vaccinated. I believe it's Brian Floyd that wrote the piece. It is. And his belief is that either Rolovich should resign, that he should not coach for the Cougs this year. I've wondered if this is going to become an issue because he, Nick Rolovich is one of your most high-profile public employees. I mean, he is technically a public employee, but he's also an athletic department official. Is, is he taking that stance, which is against the direction that the administration has pushed everyone, from students to faculty, is, is, that, is that grounds for them to, to make a change there? I, I don't know the answer to that. It seems that if if you would take that, that he can't coach if he refuses to get the vaccine, are you going to do the same thing to professors who refuse and decline to get vaccinated, citing their own personal reasons? I don't know if that's the case. It's obviously different than a professor because a professor is not going to attract nearly as much attention as your head football coach will. But that's also one of the things that they talk about as a justification for college athletics is, hey, it's, it's the visibility. It's the advertising department for your university. The, the, uni- the fact that this was announced, that Nick Rolovich announced this via his own Twitter account, would lead me to believe that this has not been a straightforward process and that there's a little bit of give and take. I believe that the school would very much prefer that he got vaccinated. And oh, I believe yeah. that Nick, Nick Rolovich has decided that if it came down to a choice between his job and being vaccinated, that he, is, he, that, that he, would, he would give up his job. He's not willing. This is not something he's willing to, to cave on. And in some ways, I think now it's up to the university of how adamant would they be about him not, not being the coach. Is it essentially not a fireable offense? Because then you get into whether it's just cause. But are you? Do you need? Do you decide that you need a, foot, a different football coach because he's not willing to follow the cues of the rest of campus? I feel like it's too early to make that determination with him, just because of the fact that you've only had this one little weird season before. But in this article, it highlights: Hey, look, I mean, this was a team that had the COVID nineteen positive test before the Apple Cup, and it's the first time that we haven't seen an Apple Cup since World War II. So, I mean, that's another, I guess, strike against Nick Rolovich. I would just say, from this perspective, I mean, a day like today, where Frank Reich, he has the vaccine and he tests positive for COVID-19 anyway, that's not going to make Nick Rolovich any more likely to decide to get vaccinated, you know? I don't see how an institution, I don't see how a college can essentially try to push and almost mandate vaccines for the people on campus and then have the most visible employee of that campus decide and announce that he is not vaccinated i I don't i don't think that that's a tenable situation i'll see what watch that's just that's my observation from the outside i don't think that that's a tenable situation going forward definitely would make him on thin ice after this season i would imagine it would be an extra factor he is danny o'neill i am paul gallant it's danny and gallant on 710 espn seattle the seattle mariners took three of four from oakland this week and we'll walk you back through some of the best moments of a very eventful and dramatic weekend next